the Baseball Lifer podcast is on the air. Well, hi, everybody. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer in residence. What a week we've had this week and i'm going to talk to you some about that before we bring on our guest monique aj smith who was a college administrator and she was right up against it the conference she was working with was looking at dropping baseball on the college level and monique aj smith did not see want to see that happen we'll talk about that in a little while but we're going to start by talking about what happened this past week in baseball. As we come to you on Friday, the 14th of April, last Saturday night in the minor leagues, in the AA Southern League, this game took place in Madison, Alabama, the home of the Angels AA team, the, tra- the Trash Pandas. Yes, they call them the Rocket City Trash Pandas. They were the home team. They were facing Chattanooga, the Reds' double-A team, the Chattanooga Lookouts. So Rocket City, the Trash Pandas, they got a three-run home run in the last half of inning number six to get off to the lead. And their pitcher, Coleman Crow, hadn't given up any hits. This was going to be a seven-inning double-A game, double-header game also. So... As they went to the top of the seventh, they brought in Ben Joyce. And Ben Joyce was a big name last year on the college level, pitching for the University of Tennessee, regularly touching 100 miles an hour. Well, he was doing the same thing in Madison, Alabama. But the pitches weren't going where Ben Joyce wanted them to go. He walked four men, so the bases were full. Chattanooga still didn't have a hit. It was three to one. They were down. He got what should have been the last out of the ball game. A fly ball to center field. The center fielder dropped it. All three runners scored. Now it's four to three Chattanooga, and they still don't have any hits. So the Pandas took out Ben Joyce. The next pitcher hit the next three guys that he saw, one of them with the bases full. Then he walked a man, and then he threw a wild pitch. So the score was now 7-3, to three, and Chattanooga still didn't have a hit to their credit. And they ended up winning the game 7-5 to five with a final line of seven runs, zero hits. Amazing. And that's just the start of the amazing things that have happened this week. The rest of them have to do with the Tampa Bay Rays. As we talk to you now... On April 14th, the Rays have 13 wins against no defeats. Think about that. They've opened up the season 13-0. and 0. And this is a team that used to be called the Devil Rays. And there's a little devil in those Rays this year, at least as the season gets underway. And they put you in mind of some other great winning streaks of all time. Nobody's ever going to beat the 26 games in a row won by the 1916 New York Giants. The truly funny part is, even though they won 26 in a row, they didn't make it to the World Series. Another tremendous 
winning streak. This one I remember. This was only six years ago. This was the 2017 Cleveland Indians, as they were still called. They won 22 games in a row. The 1935 Cubs won 21 consecutive games. The 2002 A's won 20 games in a row. And the 1947 Yankees and 1906 Chicago Cubs each won 19 games in a row. So the Rays still have a lot to shoot for, having won 13 in a row. Some other notable winning streaks, the Atlanta Braves won 15 in the year 2000. The Cardinals won 17 only two years ago, 2021. And their manager, Mike Matheny, got fired for his trouble. You win 17 games in a row, you get your team to the playoffs, and you get fired. The Brooklyn Dodgers won 15 games in a row in 1924. The Mariners won 15 in 2001. The Orioles won 14 in 1973, and they had also won 14 all the way back in 1916 when they were known as the St. Louis Browns. The 1999 San Diego Padres put up 14 wins in a row. The Pirates put a record of 16 in a row up in 1909. And in that same year, the Detroit Tigers won 14 games in a row, 1909. And the reason I mentioned both of those teams, the Pirates and the Tigers met each other in the World Series of 1909. That was the World Series where Ty Cobb had to avoid the state of Ohio because there was a warrant out for his arrest in Ohio. So he had to go from Detroit to Pittsburgh and circumnavigate the state of Ohio. The Rangers won 14 games in a row in 1991. In 1946, the Ted Williams-led Red Sox won 15 in a row. That was the year when Williams hurt his elbow in an ill-conceived exhibition game the Red Sox played in between the regular season and the World Series. And that left Ted Williams playing at half strength at best during the 1946 World Series. And even at that, the series went seven games. The Kansas City Royals won 16 games in 19. 77. That's one of those several years in a row where the Royals lost to the Yankees and the Yankees would go on and win the World Series. And the Twins, the Twins, their longest winning streak is 15 games. And that was in 1991, the year the Twins won the World Series. What a World Series that was. With Game 7, John Smoltz against Jack Morris, that one to nothing. 10-inning pitching duel to end that World Series in Game 7. So there have been some great winning streaks, and I'm interested to see you know, how far the Tampa Bay Rays will go with theirs. They've won 13 in a row. The last four have been over the Boston Red Sox, and the Red Sox had been doing well up until then, up until they went into Tampa. After you've heard this, broadcasts. The Rays are going to begin a series 
at Rogers Center in Toronto. It'll be very interesting to see what happens between the Rays and the Blue Jays, whether this tremendous winning streak will continue. When we return on the Baseball Lifer podcast, you'll be able to hear my guest, Monique A.J. Smith, college administrator, a woman who was in a position to try and save baseball in the conference where she worked. She's next, if you keep it where it is. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here, and our guest is Monique A.J. Smith. And Miss Smith, there's a whole lot that could be said about you, but how would you best describe yourself to our audience? Well, first, Don, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm a lead- yes, I'm a leadership strategist for athletic departments, sport organizations, and individuals who wish to advance in athletic administration. Uh, I've spent 30 years as an athletic administrator. Uh, I began um, as a sports information director in my career. Um, I've been an athletic director at 28. Um, I did compliance on Division One level, and I worked for a conference office for uh, 13 years. Uh, for the last 10 years, I've done my consulting, and uh, one of my clients is uh, Boo Williams, uh, the grassroots king in AAU. And there's a podcast which our listeners could subscribe to. It's called A Chat in the Garden. And um, would I subtitle it Significance in Sports and Athletics? Would that be something of a subtitle for the Chat in the Garden podcast? Yes. What I like to say is a chat in the garden where significance blooms in athletics and sports. And this is you at least eight years, if not more. And it's nine years. Uh, August will be <laughs> ten. And you're talking to a guy who's in season one of oh. the podcast. This is brand new territory for me. Now, oh, okay. one thing I know is you both studied at and did some teaching at Old Dominion. So I can't, as a women's basketball fan, I can't not ask. Um, did you know? Both Coach Marianne Stanley and Ann Donovan, either or, or both? Um, no, I did not. I got my master's from ODU in 94. And, uh, uh, but I will say I was quite aware because I went to undergrad at uh, Hampton University, which is right across the bridge. And uh, so quite aware of the legend that was right near me as it relates to women's basketball. And there is a wonderful uh, display inside uh, where they play sports. Now, when I was in grad school, um, the arena was a regular gym like most athletic gyms. But since then, they have expanded uh, to an arena uh, that house concerts and all those kind of things. So I've been around Old Dominion um, since the 80s. And so I'll be honest with you, it's like anything. You don't know that you have a legacy right there in your back door. So I remember being on the campus. My cousin was uh, in a summer program um, like in 82, 83, um, 81, matter of fact. 
And uh, so I was on the campus in the summertime. And uh, but you just never know the legacies that you're around. And the last thing I'll mention before we go over to baseball, which is our main topic, is what a marvelous Final Four women's tournament they had in Dallas just ending on the Sunday past on April 2nd. What a tournament that was. Yes, it was. And uh, I understand it had the most uh, views. uh, um, And I think the Friday game had more views on ESPN than an NBA team did. So we have definitely have evolved, um, and I'm really excited. It's interesting we're talking about um, the history of the 80s. Uh, when I was in college in 19, um, my sophomore year in college, 1988, Hampton University won the Division II National Championship. And so that, that's our legacy right in front of our faces. A Division II and HBCU, okay, conference won the Women's Basketball National Championship in 1988. And they were just recognized by Hampton University uh, the first, I think, uh, two weeks ago. They, they were just inducted into the Hampton University Hall of Fame. And they were put into the CIAA Hall of Fame back in February. And um, so, uh, and, and my point for saying that is that there was no television. Like the Division II men's championship was televised this this time. But um, the thing is, it's like you won a championship, but does anybody know? Because nobody was there. They didn't have any fans. They definitely didn't have a television viewership. And so you fast forward, that's what you see what Title IX will do. And for our audience, and I actually had to learn this for myself when I was, when I got your letter, uh, HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And I have a reason to mention that because we're going to talk about that going forward in this podcast. We're talking on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here, my guest Monique A.J. Smith. Now, I, as a fan, to a lesser degree as a broadcaster, I heard a lot of negativity. I thought there was too much negativity. I thought the worst offender was Mm. Jim Rome. He would say just terrible things about college baseball. But I learned this game in college baseball, and college baseball was part of the job that you had in your administration years because i was a sid um and i was a one-person shop um i had to learn how to do statistics for all my sports and one of them we had when i was at sid at st paul's college was baseball and uh, it was before we had computerized statistics so i learned how to do baseball um batting averages and all those of the like and uh, and I was the only female SID in the conference. So um, I began to like it because to me it was relaxing. Softball was great too, but softball is a faster game. And uh, and I enjoyed, again, promoting my guys. And I was, I was asked to uh, do statistics for um, the conference championship. That was like in the early 90s. So you fast forward, I'm in the conference office to in year 2000, 
And, um, and in the midst of that, let me back up. So I like to be able to solve issues. So one of the problems about my baseball team in the, in the mid-90s was that we didn't have a baseball field, and we used the baseball field of the middle school, and we had to be off the field um, by, like, 4 o'clock because the kids that used the field were about to practice on it. So that meant that we our games had to be over by 3 or 4 o'clock which means my guys were never in class and which means that their grades were always questionable because they weren't in class. So in my mind, see a problem, that's what leaders do and find a solution. So I said, if we get our own baseball field, we will be able to keep our guys in class. So miraculously, we got some Reebok money. Reebok um, had a lawsuit, there was a lawsuit against Reebok and they said that they had to give money to um, um, communities and that communities, they, they pinpoint HBCUs. And so I saw it about we were getting this money in the paper and I went straight to the president's office and said, look, we need this money to make this baseball field. So here's my point. I wasn't even athletic director when I came up with all these great plans. So, but people knew that baseball was close to my heart. So when I go into the conference office, there's no way I can like change my jacket, if you know what I mean, change my colors. And I'm like, wait a minute. So when I get to the conference office, Bowie State drops baseball. And I'm like, huh? So when they dropped baseball, it gave us only five teams for baseball. You need to have six teams in order for the NCAA to recognize you for having a sport. And you get money by the number of sports you have back then. I don't know what it is now. Your distribution is based on the number of championships you have. So I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, I do know that it's difficult. I just explained how to keep a kid eligible for baseball because in the springtime, it's hard to go to class. So I get that. Number two, the best ball players don't go to college. They go straight to the pros. And number three, uh, in order to have to be counted for a sport, you got to play at least 24 games. So we're talking about from February, March, April, and school ends in May. And so most uh, Division two schools, you know, they're not going to play past graduation. You know, so it's about the investment of what you, you put into it. And so I began to get on the campaign because I'm like, we cannot afford, number one, to drop any more sports. And why are we dropping sports? You know, that that has been a pastime of America. I'm a little confused. And so I happen to be serving on a committee. And the guy Solomon at the time was working for uh, Major Baseball. And I just spoke truth to power. I said, why are you putting this money in the inner cities and and you're having these RBI programs um, that geared toward um, um, non-blacks, non-whites, but Hispanics? And you're not looking in the rural community, which is where Black kids play baseball all year long, okay? And so 
I just it just didn't make sense to me. So I've been on that soapbox for uh I was on that soapbox for at least at least 20 years. So our audience is on on top and 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 those this you you're talking earlier on that they the, the players had to clear the field by four o'clock. And the truth of it is in today's world, either they start the games at 3.30 or some of the luckier stadiums have lights and they can play night games. So you were trying to bring St. Paul's onto a more level playing field with the others. Well, again, we were Division two, and uh, we were using, again, a middle school, high school because we didn't have our own baseball field. So I found a sponsor. Um Bit by bit, I mean, I was really committed. I was out there raking rocks, meaning I was trying to get the field clear in order to 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 build this 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 baseball. But unfortunately, when I became athletic director, I could not spend time on my project because I had to oversee the entire program. But yeah, and you were a uh, conference executive for the Central intercollegiate association and and i believe that's division two and i think it's mostly yes, it in the, and i think it's mostly in the carolinas tell me about the schools that you were um working with at that time well uh it's a division two conference office i was in that role as a social commissioner from 2000 to 2013 um i just mentioned that we had Bowie state as a baseball um a school but they dropped the same semester that I became, I came into the conference office. So the five institutions that had baseball was Elizabeth City, Virginia State. Because um, again, the schools, there were 12 of them, but only five had baseball. Um, St. Augustine's College, uh, Shaw University, and uh, one more. Uh, it's not coming to me right now, but what I was able to do was be in the conference office and institute a policy that anyone wanting to join the CIAA had to have baseball. So that brought in Lincoln University with baseball. That brought in um, uh, Chawang University with baseball. And most impressive, most impressively, was Winston-Salem State University. And when they were coming in and we said you had a baseball, there was some pushback because they said you didn't have a baseball team and they couldn't get a baseball team. And so we just reminded the board, like, look, we put this in place because this is what we must have to, to get money from the NCAA to have a certain number of, of sports. And so they did I mean, again, this conversation is like in May, and they want to join the conference the next academic year. They put together the baseball team, and guess what? They won the conference championship, and I believe uh, they won every year, or or at least ninety percent every all the times they had baseball. So that tells me right then, when you committed to doing something, you can get it done. And the teams that had baseball for a number of years, this is an example that you're not working hard. You don't have the same kind of coach. I don't know what it is. But these folks came in here, didn't have it less than a year, made baseball, 
and won the conference championship. And they took it from ground zero to the conference championship. Yes, sir. Tremendous. They put a proposal together that any team who wanted to come into the CIAA had to have baseball in order to join the CIAA. And that and those institutions that were looking to join the membership were Lincoln, were Chawan, and Winston-Salem. And though although Chawan is not an HBCU, they want to join the this conference because it was easier on their um on their budget for traveling for championships. So uh again, that's how you put things in place. If it's something that you want to counter move, you put policies and procedures in place because the people want to join the membership and they gotta have baseball. And uh again, Winston Salem didn't have baseball. And it, that protected us for those who were grandfathered in and if they dropped it. Uh, we did put a penalty if you did drop it. Um, and so, because again, they felt like it was a um, a drainer on um, the budget. And so while, while you're dealing with the ones that are in, you look to for the future and put policies in there and say, if you want to be a member of this conference, you must have this. Talking with Monique A.J. Smith on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And your podcast, uh, Chat in the Garden, how did that begin and how have you sustained it all these years? Well, it began, I had a publicist. Um, she was trying to get me speaking engagements. And so she said that she had a another client who had a network called... Um, Survival Radio Network, and he was looking for people to create shows. And I said, well, um, if I do it, I want to have full control. And I'll be the host, and I'll decide who my guests are. And um, so I like to, I like professional development. Professional development is growth. And when you think about growth, you got to be embraced, uh, being uncomfortable. So that's why I like chat in the garden because when you think about me I want you to think about growth and being I've been in the business for a while now that's what people knew me for is being able to create create opportunities to grow other individuals inside athletic administration and uh, so that's why I came up with chat in the garden because my company is called seeds of empowerment because I plant seeds of empowerment to lead others to greatness so one of the things that I said I want to do I said the first the first shows will be only black women athletic administrators. And the guy was like, well, that won't be very long. I said, you watch. So I really believe in educating people to influence them. So the show started in August. And I believe the last athletic director, sitting athletic director for that season uh, was in February. So that's four times with August, September, October, November, December, January, February. That's seven, seven times four. That's about 30 women. And uh, so it's a twofold. Number one is to show other women a representation of what it takes to get in this role and to stay in this role and have prepared for a career in, this, in, in athletic administration. The number two is, and I've been, I served on a lot of NCAA committees, championships, memberships, a football task force committee, 
uh, Honda Award, all kinds of things. And so the one thing um, that, that I learned uh, is people will pick people that they know or they feel comfortable with. And so if I said, if I can have people come into their ears into their home once a week about women that they don't know, but have uh, characteristics and qualities where they have a pool or opportunity that they will reach out for. So that's what it's all about. And over the last couple of years, if you look on Amazon, there are four editions of an item called Significance in Athletics and Sports, one from 2021, two from 2022, and one just published in February. Now, would that be a book or a magazine? Because I, I see several editions. I don't know how to categorize this this writing. Okay, well... Actually, I just released the fifth one. It comes out twice a year. It is a magazine. Okay. It's called Significance in Athletics and Sports, and it is on Amazon. And the key point here, it is highlighting the significance, the expertise, knowledge of the women in athletic administration. Um, and the key with this is, you know, if you're interested in consulting, or you want to go speak for something just like this, you know, I may not have, you know, I just reached out to you, but what if I had in my, um, you know, in a magazine about my life in baseball and, you know, gave you a framework of how I look at life through baseball, then you would know I'd be a perfect candidate for your podcast or to speak to your audience in an in-person format, or more importantly, Let's say that up there, someone is looking for an athletic administrator to oversee baseball. That's what this piece, the podcast is about career path. This is about expertise knowledge. And uh, again, it introduces people to several areas. I had one young lady that was the president of the Alliance of Social Workers and Sports. Who knew that there was such a thing? You know, and then I had a younger lady who was director of equipment and she helped design the base. I mean, the football uniforms. I'm pretty sure she did baseball, too, because she's overseeing all of it. Um, and so just having an, uh, some kind of platform to be able to highlight, put it in hands to encourage the next generation is what this was all about. We've been watching baseball over the last few years. And it's fairly obvious the problems the game has. Do you think the major leagues have been successful, at least in the short term, with the changes they've made for this baseball season? Well, can you be more specific about the changes you're speaking about? Okay, the pitch clock, for one, which was a big, big thing to implement. Um, that's And the... Lack of the shift, they've they've gone away from that. Those are the two which are, you know, the the most important in my mind. Well, let me. Let, I, I teach uh, sports management courses at Hank University, and I use a baseball example to to talk about uh, baseball as a product, the sport itself, and um, one of the parts about being a sports product, baseball is how is the usage of it? 
and you want to be able to sell it to the audience, the customer. And to some people, baseball is too long. And so there was an example that I used in class. The SEC used um, some type of mechanism to speed up um, the conversation between um, the pitcher and the coach. Uh, it was some, some type of uh, speaking mechanism that they could talk with without having to slow the game down to go to the mound, number one. And number two, um, there was another mechanism to try to speed up the game. And sometimes those mechanisms are not necessarily because uh, if you play baseball, you're looking for the time. And it, you know, that's part of the whole ambiance of baseball. But if you're trying to get butts and seats, and this is what you hear is just too long, then you try to find mechanisms to make you stand out, to brand yourself. And so that's probably what's occurring with Major League Baseball is that you're catering more so um, to the customer um, because, again, the remotes are quite dangerous for folks when they have sponsors and they click the button when the sponsor comes on. So you want to be able to come up with some things that help you have some other revenue streams other than ticket sales. We've been talking on the Baseball Lifer podcast with Monique A.J. Smith, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. You're very welcome, and I've really enjoyed it. If anybody would like to talk some more baseball, you can find me on LinkedIn at Monique A.J. Smith. We'll be back in a minute to talk about next week's show, if you keep it where it is. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here. And again, thanks to Monique A.J. Smith for sharing her time with us on this broadcast. I forgot to mention earlier on, we're welcoming some new listeners today. Anybody listening on Snowman Media, welcome. You can email me at don at thebaseballlifer.com. Don. My first name at the baseballlifer.com. Let me know you're listening on Snowman Multimedia. This is our first week with them. And next week, you'll be able to hear my interview with Craig Colby. What a character he is. He is about hats the way I am about my baseball game collection, my collection of recorded broadcasts. This guy. Craig Colby is that way about his collection of hats, baseball hats, football hats, because it is the baseball lifer. We did focus on the baseball hats that he's collected down through the years. He's a gentleman from Canada. We'll be able to hear him next week if you keep it right where it is. Until then, this is Don Wardlow, your baseball lifer. Have a good week. Uh -huh.